Welcome to A Wandering Witch Podcast. This is Navier Alora. Won't you come and sit for a spell? I am delighted to see how this podcast is organically taking its own shape and growing in new and joyful ways. We have some features that are rolling out that I would love to share. The first is the pre-show divination. This offers bonus behind-the-scene photos of the ritual altar as well as the pre-show divination that takes place. Before each show, I pull a card from either my tarot decks, the oracle, or a fairy card. And sometimes I'll pull a rune or an oom stave as well. If you're interested in hearing this reading, as well as other bonus content and special features, such as behind-the-scene artist offerings, cruise on down to my Patreon. Patreon.com backslash a wandering witch. I've invited each guest to share an example of their art, whatever it may be, and I will be sharing it to my patrons. I really want to create a more intimate experience between the listeners and who you all are listening to. This podcast here is only $5 a month on my Patreon, and you get to receive all these bonus goodies. Plus, you help to support the making of this podcast. Mahalo Nui Loa. Thank you very much. Welcome to Episode 5, A Chat with Raven Terrapin. This is the first installment of the Music and the Occult series. Raven Terrapin is a recovering Christian and a natural empath. I would add to the nth degree <laughs> myself. He yeah. has been working he has been working with magic and music his entire life, from playing Baby Jesus to touring relentlessly over 55 concerts in multiple states as the leader of a hip hop collective Direwood. Yay. He's also yeah, can we just get a shout out for that? He's, <laughs> he's also the co-president of Shepherd Boy Records with his brother and Direwood producer Tommy Jordan. He is, oh, and I want to just say he has the most amazing partner. She's one of my personal heroines, Miss mm. Nick. <laughs> yeah, seriously. She is a priestess of Bostet, like mm-hmm. no other. Mm-hmm. So he is a devoted husband to her, an organic gardener, a pet keeper extraordinaire, homeowner, a Zen monk who trains <laughs> six days a week as Coach Mike on Instagram. And I've personally seen this amazing transformation, so inspirational. And he's coming off of a five-year hiatus to bring Direwood back in a new podcast, Direwood Alpha, due out next April. And it's structured around the major arcana of the tarot. He is a chaos magician, an author, a noisemaker, a crayon artist, which I enjoy immensely, and a trouble starter, and a dreamer of dreams. Welcome, Raven Terrapin. We've been just delighted over this time that's been approaching. So happy to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm really blown away by the moment. I should mention that this is my very first podcast I've ever been a part of, and I've been waiting for, for this moment for quite some time. Everything's aligned quite nicely. And um, although you don't have the benefit of being able to see me via video because our Zoom took a giant dump, I have a <laughs> coffee cup uh, that I'm holding in my hand, and it has the face of Alistair Crowley on it. And uh, on the back of the coffee cup, custom made by my wife, the priestess of Bastet, is the uh, incantation for coffee uh, that Alistair Crowley wrote. Um, so I, I basically have uh, Megatherion staring me in the <laughs> face all day long. Um, and I'm a coffee fiend, so uh, it's pretty special. But, um, you know, we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff, I think, in this discussion and I just kind of want to outline um, some some real basic, simple stuff that uh, we are are definitely um, 
going to hold and bind the energy that we bring up in this discussion. And it's not going to hurt or harm anyone, even if we talk about things that are dark or disturbing, because we are talking about heavy consciousness in music. And that is a heavy topic. It is. And the occult in music series is what I feel is sparking in this moment because I know we're not going to be able to just have one chat, not you well, and I. How could you? Right. I know. Yeah, it, it's such a deep topic. And, and we could literally do our own podcast offshoot on this topic and never run out of things to talk about. Um, but I think the best place for me to start is with my beginning and I can kind of just crunch in where I came into the story and then uh, expand from there and I want to kind of highlight uh, three main people in our discussion but okay. um, yeah uh, so um, much like the great beast himself I was born in 1975 he was born in 1875 and you'll see that uh, although we do not follow parallel paths there are certain things about our personalities that are quite similar one is that both of us were born into very strict religious households and we were therefore restricted from uh, listening to certain music participating in certain well there wasn't films when he was born but films for me all that type of stuff very heavy mm. repression, very heavy repression. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate or be more specific on what religion? Um, sure. My parents were fundamentalist Christians, and, and so was, were his parents. His parents were part of an apocalyptic cult in England um, called the Plymouth Brethren. Um, so my parents were fundamentalist Christians out of the Jesus movement in the 1970s, which was this huge explosion that came after the hippie counterculture were pretty much all the people who thought that what they had participated in the counterculture might be bad ended up on the other side repenting and being part of the Jesus movement. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where I started from a place of very deep repression, but also um, at the same time, a place of uh you know, music and theater and, and all that type of stuff I was exposed to really early. You know, I, I tell people I was on the stage literally before I have a conscious memory of being on the stage. And that's true. Wow. You know, I actually, I'm also in that camp, I just realized. Yeah. Because my mom put me into dance at age three and a half. And yeah. because I was such a shy, introverted child. Interesting. Please continue. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's just skip ahead a couple of years or we'll be here for eight hours just talking about me. Um, when I got into rock and roll was basically because, uh, like everything else, when somebody tells me not to do something, my personality is I'm a Taurus Gemini. When authority figures tell me to do something, I usually had the other way as quickly as possible. That's one of my many foibles. But if an adult tells me that something's bad, then I'm going to go check it out as quickly as possible. Rebel. <laughs> yeah, uh, literally like had uh, counselors and teachers in high school tell my parents that I was a rebel without a clue, you know. Aww. So <laughs> I, I hope that I've gotten a clue since then. Um, but there was this book. Uh, and it was like something cheesy, like, what in the hell is wrong with rock and roll? And it was like an encyclopedia from like A to Z, from ACDC to Zappa. And mm. it had like an article about every band, what they did, why it was bad or sinful. The worse it was, the more there was writing about it, you know. So Black Sabbath had like a giant chapter, you know, and like Led Zeppelin had like a giant chapter. And like, so, you know, when reading this book that I got out of the church, like the worse the bands were like Black Sabbath, they deserved a giant chapter in this book. I got to check this out. That's where yes. I'm headed, you know? Yes. Um, 
I have a really good buddy who's also uh, traveled the same path and he's a good mm -hmm. friend of yours and uh, he's a fellow musician. He went exactly the same way. His parents burnt his Kiss records in front of him. I have actually more than one friend who this has happened to. I have another friend whose parents burned his Metallica tapes in front of them. And both of them ended up being like heavy, hardcore, heavy metal, thrash musician dudes. That's well, Kiss was Kiss was like Knights and Satan's service. Right. I remember in the yeah. 70s, that was the right. whole buzz. I had yeah. older cousins, super. In, one of my older cousins was a guitar player and ended up giving um, classical guitar lessons and playing in a symphony. He was yeah. super um, talented and gifted. But yeah. I remember my folks also being a little disturbed that Kiss music was in the household when we'd visit. Right. Yeah. And and can I just mention that for me, Black Sabbath feels like the dark current, like the dark undercurrent, not dark in a bad way, but a dark, darker current than, say, what was happening on the top side of music in that time. It absolutely is. And and that's probably a really uh, decent place to start our, our discussion in that um Black Sabbath comes out of the bombed out remnants of, uh, of a really tough part of England, uh, post-World War II England. So um, they're literally like going to practice these young uh, drunk punk kids, essentially, in the mid-60s, uh, practicing. And when they're practicing, they're walking through bombed out, burnt out streets and rubble. And, you know, cemeteries all over the place. It was a pretty heavy vibe. And it was an economic depression as well. So it was a pretty grim time to, mm -hmm, to be a young mm -hmm. person in, in England. And that's kind of where that tone comes from. They just started out as a blues band. Um, and then, you know, uh, progressed and, and kind of through some happy accident, just started getting heavier and heavier and louder and louder and then, uh, kind of discovered this hook, you know, that they could make scary music and nobody was really doing that. So let's do that. And and that's what pushed them over, you know. Scary, but also super frigging deep. Oh, yeah. I, and relentlessly heavy, you know. Yes. And I, I am such a huge fan of Black Sabbath since I was a young teen. And I remember doing a calligraphy project based on their lyrics. And there wasn't a lot of that really going on in my, my crowd. There was a little bit of, of a heavy metal vibe amongst my immediate friends, but the general vibe, we're, I think, exactly the same age. And yeah. it was U2 and kind of like a pop vibe. It really wasn't, it was the, the tail end of hair metal, but not yeah. a lot of people. We're, we're going deep into like Black Sabbath and yeah, Dio. that was definitely like for me. I think we are the same age. That's uh, that's the stoner rock kids, you know, like the burnout <laughs> yes. kids and in the lunchroom um, with the long hair and the T-shirts that, you know, and the bell bottom, shitty bell bottom pants. And, you know, that's the dude smoking dope in the parking lot in high school. And that wasn't me, actually. That's not that's not who I was in high school, but that uh, definitely had an appeal to me in high school. It's kind of who I was. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, was, I, was I was at an all-girl Catholic school and really didn't find home there. So I can relate to connecting in with, with music, like the musical outcasts, yeah. so to speak. It's all related. Please continue. Yeah. yeah. So, so then, you know, just to pick up from there, through high school, music really replaced sports in my life. I was a jock for a while and then really got into rock and roll around the time that grunge exploded with all the other kids in 1993. And, um, and that changed my life. I immediately stopped playing basketball and, and uh, you know, I, uh, I learned how to play a bass instead. And like that freaked my parents out. They did not dig that. And I was not getting along with them at all. I essentially left uh, home to go to college just to get out of the house. 
my mom mm-hmm. and mom and dad were hiding my Black Sabbath records in the garage because they said they were giving off bad vibes, you know. So like it was I a lot of it's my fault, you know, but that's just the path of a rebellious kid. And I ended up in rock and roll music and through that ended up in hip hop music. And it's been about 25 years or so I've been doing independent music now. So it's a long lifetime journey, you know. It's amazing. And what is the general vibe of your folks now? Are they still into hardcore Christianity? No, um, that's funny. I think that they're definitely Christians, but I would say, and I've told my mom this recently, I find them to be some of the few real Christians I know. They actually nice. walk the walk and talk the talk and follow what the man, you know, what the Christ said, not what other people said that he said, you know. So in that respect, I think we have our, I definitely have our separate path, but I can respect that, you know, and they can respect me. And and that's a beautiful thing, you know, but uh, definitely my past is, is covered and colored by that you know, experience. Raven, I would love your thoughts on the Faustinian pact. That's such a juicy topic for me, that traditional deal with the devil that so many people in history have um, have been rumored to oh. have made like like Robert Johnson, for example. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about like rock and roll music and the occult and uh, and that type of thing, you want to talk about Robert Johnson um, because he literally is the guy. Uh, there are two people I want to talk about specifically, but when I asked you about this topic mm-hmm. earlier, I said, who's the first rock and roll star, remember? Robert Johnson. And you said, that's right. Um, So Robert Johnson um, was uh, someone who didn't uh, seem to uh, have a life where he was going to become a famous musician until pretty late in his life. Um, He was known as somebody who kind of, just hung around the bars in uh, the juke joints and he learned how to play harmonica pretty good. But um, there's a guy named Sunhouse, very famous yes. blues musician named Sunhouse, yes. which is a Horace. Sunhouse. If, if I ever heard one. Um, Sunhouse used to jam, right? And uh, Robert Johnson would hang out around Sunhouse. He would say, let me play your guitar. And Sunhouse would be like, no, you are terrible. You suck at the guitar. You have no talent. Like, all you do is make noise. But you can touch it, like, when we go on our smoke breaks or go outside or whatever, you can mess around, right? So Robert would get up there, and he'd clang around and play a few chords here and there, but he sounded bad, and nobody liked it, and everybody (coughs) just thought he was a weird cat. You know, and he played harmonica good, right? Mm-hmm. So that's Robert Johnson, okay? Uh, Robert Johnson disappears for a while, like falls off the radar. Now, the thing about Robert Johnson is we don't have much information on him at all. Uh, there are two known existing photographs of Robert Johnson, 29 songs that he recorded, and that's it. Um, all the details of his life are murky. And so, uh, you know, a lot of this is legend. A lot of this is like headed towards Paul Bunyan territory where you cannot verify that this is actually historically accurate. You know, a lot of it has been given a pretty wide berth through legend and history. But Robert Johnson disappears for six months and then he comes back. And when he comes back, he plays guitar like no ever heard before like he is just absolutely shredding and people uh, remember him from six months ago at the mm-hmm. open mic and right. they're blown away like how is this even possible you know you went from not even being able to do simple bar chords to like being revolutionary in less than six months there's gotta be something right. going on here so this legend comes up that robert johnson went down Mm -hmm. to the crossroads and Robert Johnson made a deal with the devil 
to sell his soul to learn how to play the blues. When he stood at the crossroads at midnight with his guitar, a big shadow of a big black man stepped out of the moonlight and said, hand me that guitar. And Robert Jansen handed him that guitar and the devil tuned that guitar up and he played a little bit of blues himself. Then he handed the guitar back to Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson played some blues and they signed their deal and Robert Johnson mm -hmm. was a guitar god. And that's the Faustian mm -hmm. bargain. Okay. Oh, well, I'm just going to say, there are always repercussions when you sign a Faustian bargain with whatever sort of spirits you sign off to. There are always going to be responsibilities. And if you don't follow those responsibilities, you are going to be in for a rough mm. time. Have you ever seen um, the interview with Bob Dylan? That sort of alludes to his Faustinian pact. No, but that doesn't surprise me. But also, Bob Dylan is is well known for um, creating sort of those Paul Bunyan legends, like I was speaking about about himself. That's a large part of the, of the Bob Dylan persona. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he said something like that, because that sounds very Bob Dylan to me. But at the same time. Bob Dylan is the guy who wrote an autobiography and none of it ended up being true. He just made it up in his head, you know? So that's Bob Dylan. Maybe that's another episode. Mm -hmm. there's a lot well, there was about. just real quick. There was a YouTube video I saw of an interview with him from a, um, like a mainstream news source. And he said, you know, look at you. You're just still out there doing your thing all these years later. And Bob Dylan's response was, I'm just keeping up my end of the bargain. And the news, the newscaster right. said, um, who is this bargain with? And he said, with the commander in chief. And he said, the um, commander in chief of this world and the world that we can't see. And I thought that was mm -hmm. so profound. And I will say if any of you yeah, out there have so, ever tried to say to a crowd of people, I don't like Bob Dylan's music, good luck because <laughs> it will evoke yeah. some kind of rage or hate crime. What do you mean you don't like Bob Dylan? No, he's a prophet. Yeah, we could do a whole episode just about Bob Dylan. And I think it's interesting that you kind of bring up the whole um uh, biblical aspect if you want um, because the blues music that Robert Johnson's playing is a direct split off of gospel music and field haulers um, post-civil war um, uh, gospel is a huge part of black culture and um, with black culture in New Orleans is really where uh, we get our um, modern popular music from. That's the birth of jazz music in America. And from jazz music, we get blues music. And from blues music, it evolves to rock and roll into every other kind of you know music you can think of alongside country and bluegrass music from the East Coast and mm -hmm. the Appalachian Irish people. Um, but that is rock and roll music. So this is all deep South. This is all Mississippi. This is all deep, deep black dirt. This is all blood in the field, if you want. This is, you know, this is some real down South uh, heavy duty shit that we're talking about. And blues music in particular is rooted in, a, you know, yeah. generational suffering. Um, which we can't even begin to possibly imagine. So me as like a white person that is into hip hop, I always have to be so respectful of the art form, you know, of where the roots come from. And they're not necessarily my roots. So, you know, that's something I, I, I have to keep in mind and walk a really mm -hmm. fine uh, balance. Right. So I wanted to just like tell you that like the New Orleans particularly, um, it was the only city in the South where black people were allowed to play music outside in public um, for quite some time. And so 
that is how important New Orleans music is. That is the only city in the country where black people are allowed to congregate outside of a church and not get beaten or jailed for playing music. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's where this music comes from, you know, and I think we're talking about evolution and and heaviness and, um, you know, if, if things evolve out of other things, like in any other art movement, uh, take classical art, if you want, you, you got the Renaissance painters and then the painters that come after the Renaissance painters who are influenced by those painters, but they're doing their own thing, you know? And so like, here I am in 2020, I am just a layer of paint, if you will. And like, you can peel me back and then it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, unimaginably thick layers of foundation of American music. It's so inspiring to see you sort of take that torch. And I mean, music, just like magic and art is forever evolving. And to see what you're co-creating with that energy now in a new way, in a new personal way. Yeah. Yeah. And it is deeply personal and, and it, it was a door for me. Yeah. So, um, okay. So there's Robert Johnson. Like I said, he didn't end up very well, unfortunately poor Robert Johnson, uh, made this Faustian uh, pact, right. And then he had to pay a price. And that price is that Robert Johnson died at 27 years old, uh, probably of poisoning um, and probably due to picking a fight in a bar with a, a suitor. Um, some people say the legend is that he died on his hands and knees barking like a dog, you know, mm. hellhounds on my trail. Um, but that's legend. So, again, you have to take all of this with a huge grain of salt. But without Robert Johnson, without his licks, without his 29 songs, and without his two pictures and his legend, then we don't have the Rolling Stones and we don't have the Beatles. And we don't have Led Zeppelin. We definitely don't have Black Sabbath. We probably don't have hip hop music. And this is all from a guy who died basically penniless and just the street up from being an unknown who went from uh, uh, not being able to play to being a virtuoso and changing the face of American music in less than a year. So that's pretty. So if the legend is true, and he received his musical talent from otherworldly means. What does that say about the music? What does that say about the trajectory of evolution of music? If it comes from the devil or spirits or the other world, what do you think about that? Well, see, remember though, that I said that there's two distinct branches there and that the, the two distinct branches are gospel music and secular music. So then if there's a split there, then you can't take away the gospel element in the blues music either. There's an angel and the devil there walking side by side. And that's uh, actually a Robert Johnson lyric is like me and the devil walking side by side. But I think you cannot take the gospel element out of uh, blues music. And therefore, there's a gospel element in rock and roll. Mm-hmm. music, and also in Agreed. And even even if I, <laughs> I just had to play the advocate and ask that question. And but, but I do see that and agree with yeah. you. But what about the. Hmm. I mean, it's gospel because it's praising, because it it's preaching, it's connecting right. to the divine. It's it's allowing yourself to be that yes. vessel for delight and wonderment and communion with something greater that. But it's also deep crowd work, and it's also psychology, and it's also mm. social control. When you're uh, when you're doing the preaching thing, and that's mm-hmm. something I'm capable of doing, it's very much the same thing as me holding the microphone and rocking out a crowd of 150 people. It's the same exact energy. It's just 
channeled in a slightly different way, but it's the same. You know, those mm-hmm. things are simpatico. If you can rock a crowd, you can definitely rock a church crowd. If you know the secret words and the secret songs, you know, it's the same shit. <laughs> you know, we're not passing a, passing a right. basket around. I totally see that. Awesome. So uh, be careful what <laughs> deals that you sign because um, you're going to have to read the fine print and you'll be sorry if you don't. So it's right around here that Raven's audio begins getting some interference. So bear with us. We kept the content because the chat was fun, but there are some audio glitches on his end. And we kind of joke about it and say maybe it's the spirits of the people that we're talking about or other magical realms um, coming in to say hi. In either case... Enjoy the show. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, goodness. I had to use my laptop. I, I put the phone away and, and just booted up on my laptop. So anyway, hi, I'm back. Oh, the joys of audio. Yeah, our tech. You know. okay. I know. Until they do MindFi, this is what we're stuck with. Right. You know, when I was a kid, I was really into, and we'll tie this all together, but I was really into, um, like, radio uh, broadcasts from the 30s. Like, uh, you know, like, serial broadcasts, like The Lone Ranger or, like, The Shadow or, like, War of the Worlds and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, like, I'm a kid in the late 70s listening to uh, recordings made in the... 30s or whatever and at the beginning of that i remember they always said these recordings were made long before the advent of high fidelity and like i didn't know what that meant when i was a little kid but i kind of feel like we're we're in that same sort of era but just with different tech you know these recordings were made long before the advent of mind meld and all speech and you know what i mean totally I do. And and I'm not sure if you were thinking this would be off the record, but I like what you said, so I'm keeping it, folks. This is behind the scenes before <laughs> before Raven knew we were. Yeah, it's all good. Nothing so, incriminating. That's right. Uh-huh. So um, because I don't want to forget, I really would love to give you an opportunity to promote your amazing priestesses charity fund that um, rescues and catches and releases tons of cats all over yeah. Florida. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about an uh, organization in Pinellas County, Florida called Meow Now that does trap, neuter, release for feral cats. And then my wife's personal uh, handle is Eartip Tarot. And she's on Instagram. You can find her on Instagram uh, at Eartip Tarot. And you can find me on Instagram at Raven Terrapin. Perfect. And could you spell that for us? What's that? Raven Terrapin. Oh, uh, sure. R-A-V-E-N-T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N. I think. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> did I pass a spelling bee? That sounds right. Um, I just really wanted to give those cat lovers out there an opportunity to support a truly worthy grassroots cause in supporting the wildcat population and moving towards a more sustainable earth for everyone, really. Yeah. But it's done with such love. So well, you know. shout out. As a pagan, like I'm just, I'm riding alongside some very powerful uh, Basset and Sekhmat energy <laughs> that's uh, in my house <laughs> all the time, you know? So like I definitely, mm-hmm. I'm a Gemini living with a Leo who <laughs> is deep with the big cats, you know? So it's kind of lovely, but it's definitely wild. And as you're saying this, my black cat is in the background meowing. Nice. I just want to say, yeah, so I'll all connected. Um, so I would love to shift towards um, Mr. Crowley, but yeah. I pronounce it. 
I pronounce it Crowley, and I learned a rhyme a while ago that they said, "You, be- if you pronounce it Crowley, if you believed he behaved holy, right. and you pronounce it Crowley, if you believed that he behaved foully." That's funny. Mm-hmm. So, um, I tend to say Crowley myself, um, and that could be from like uh, it could be from. Uh, early influence of like Ozzy Osbourne in that song, Mr. Crowley. That's probably the first time I ever heard about Alistair Crowley. But yeah, I do mm. understand that some people say Crowley. And it's interchangeable, you know, but that is funny. Um, there's, there's all kinds of feedback right there. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know what that is. Okay. Do you hear that? Do you hear it? I can hear something. It sounds like a vacuum cleaner. So a good place for us to pick this discussion up is in Scotland, where we both have been. Talk to me a little bit about what your impressions of the northern islands of Scotland are like, and and I'll tell you what my impressions of it are. Okay, so I actually have a really cool synchronicity there. Um, Northern Scotland, specifically the highlands around Loch Ness, have been calling to me since I was a little child. I used to dream of like being in that water, not necessarily connecting to whatever creature is or is not there, um, but just wherever I was felt like the cold waters of Northern Scotland. That's the only way I can ex- explain it. Um, and I had a really clear lucid dream once where I was in this sort of corridor, uh, like a foyer in this house, really nondescript, but it was so clear. And I was looking around and touching everything and was aware of this little like coat room kind of thing, um, maybe 15 years ago. And so my partner and I are doing this epic world tour and we are about to approach um, Drummond Rocket is the town that we stayed in. And as we're pulling up to the lake, I start to feel like I'm kind of losing grounding. I'm feeling like I'm li- lifting out of my body. I'm feeling so much land energy, so much intention of the the rock people the earth people the tree people yeah the elemental energy that was really knocking my socks off and we pulled into the driveway of our airbnb place and nothing that significant just kind of like a big house and as we're parking and walking around the corner to get to the front door the front entrance i see these super tall redwood trees and as i'm approaching the front of the house, I'm saying out loud to myself, I know what's inside. I know what this looks like. I know I've been here and I'm having flashback deja vus of being inside this foyer and looking out and it's all happening at the same time. So when we walk in, I'm like jelly legs. I can barely stand. I'm just having this, um, deja vu slash memory of my dream because I feel like with deja vu in the past it's been a second before it's happening or a millisecond before it's happening this was a good few minutes I knew what I was walking into yeah yeah and like the dream memory and the present moment was bleeding into the other Uh, it was so trippy my hair is standing up on my arms right now oh my gosh and my partner is pretty pretty strong, um, atheist, non-magical person, very math and science builder, creative in that way, but just kind of doesn't really go into these realms much. And he said that Northern Scotland Highlands were so powerful and so magical and so intense, the energy, he couldn't even, he couldn't even handle it either. So this is coming from a, you know, quote unquote muggle or a non-magical not um, practicing magic in any way, not a sensitive. So there is a lot to it. And I know you have ancestral lineage there, uh, Raven, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. My dad talks a lot about um, 
uh, my dad talks a lot about a lot of things, <laughs> but he's a professional storyteller and he talks about this idea of uh, what's called a dolmen or a doorway. And that's just sort of this idea that there are certain places, uh, particularly in Northern Scotland, where there's a, a hole in time. Okay, uh, dolmens and doorways, right? Scotland's got okay. a bunch of them. Scotland's got a bunch of doorways. And uh, that's my impression of Northern Scotland too, is that if you're an open person, it's likely you can step through one of those doorways, maybe even accidentally. And it's a very powerful experience. Sounds like that happened to you. And the reason my arm hair was standing up is because the exact same thing happened to me. Wow, really? Yeah. So we went to this ancestral castle. Um, my people are from the clan MacLeod, uh, but unfortunately we're not Highlanders uh, like the movie. I wish, but you know, anyway. Uh, so we went to the castle Dunvegan and uh, walked in the door, much like you were saying, like sort of had this impression that I had been there before immediately walking into the building. It's an old castle, but it's been built up and redone and refinished. But I found myself pulled out of my own body and floating in like almost like an astral sort of state. And I knew what was gonna be around the next corner before I actually turned the corner. And it was one of the more profound out of body experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, just, it's just a special place. Walk Absolutely. You were up there, did you go to the Boleskine house? No, no. Actually, we, we didn't end up going to that side of, of Northern Scotland. We were on uh, the Isle of Skye, so as far north as you can get, uh, but not on the other side of, of the peninsula, essentially, from Boleskine House. And so Boleskine House and Alistair Crowley is kind of where we're going to pick up, I think, in that um, Loch Ness, where Boleskine House is and has since burnt down twice and is now being rebuilt again, is a very <laughs> weird place. Loch Ness is a very weird place. Scotland is a very weird place, but Loch Ness is a very weird place in a very weird place. And I think it's definitely got that dolmen doorway type of thing. You went there? Yeah. I didn't go. Okay. No. Yeah. But we, we stayed right on Loch Ness pretty much. Right. So there's this story that, you know, um, every lake in Scotland has a monster in it. That's, that's just one of those things, you know, that happens when you're, uh, you know, an ancient Pictish people and then conquered by the Vikings. There's going to be dragons and Leviathan in the water everywhere. Right. Right. So right. Is, is not unique in having a monster and it. it's just the most famous monster. But all lakes in Scotland come with their own monster. Let's let's put that out there. And so this is not something that started with Uncle Al, but it might be something that he sort of amplified accidentally and created, you know, uh, a bit of a hybrid sort of accidental monster in Loch Ness, although there's probably monsters in there to begin with. So you, so you, you're saying that, that Crowley created a monster in Loch Ness? I think it's entirely possible that he did. Um, because what happens is uh, Crowley specifically is looking for a house that has all these very specific uh, architectural, uh, certain doorways have to be pointed in certain cardinal directions. It has to be an isolated location where there's no one around. And he finds this house called the Boleskine House on Loch Ness, which comes with its own weirdness and he buys it, and he's intending on doing this uh, super intense ritual called the Abramelon. Mm -hmm. And the Abramelon is one of those that came Jewish and Kabbalistic uh, Hebrew magic. Uh, essentially, it's supposed to uh, bind uh, demons to bend them, to make them uh, bow to the light and obey your will, right? That's the idea behind the Abramel. Oh, see, I thought it was to gain knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel. That's your end result. But first, what you need to do is make sure that those demons that you're working with are bent to your will 
And then, you know, through progression with the end goal being contact with your holy guardian angel. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Um, so this is fraught with peril and um, every magician that I know that's worth their salt and not full of shit uh, suggests that you never even uh, try to attempt doing what he's doing at, in Machnes at this point. This is not something anybody has ever really known to be successful and it's super duper intense. It's so interesting because the other night I was listening to a radio show just randomly and this man was talking about this Abermelon ritual. Yeah. So strange that we're now talking about it. Definitely. And, and it, like I said, Alistair Crowley is the kind of person, remember going back to the beginning of our chat, mm -hmm. when somebody told him not to do something, his impression is to go do that thing. If somebody tells Alistair Crowley, you cannot climb that mountain, it cannot be done. He is going to go climb that mountain with as little gear as possible and not give a shit about what you say. Mm -hmm. that is a, that's basically Alistair Crowley's personality in a nutshell. And although I don't condone many of the things that he did, I definitely sympathize with that particular personality. I was going to ask you, Alistair Crowley, fan or not fan? Fan or foe? <laughs> I, I think I am what the kids call today a stan of Alistair Crowley, which is, you know, stan like a stan the Eminem song where like you probably care too much about the person and what they did and like are too interested in them and like kind of geek out even though it's not good for you. I think I'm a stan of Alistair Crowley, and, and that's probably fair to say. Okay. Maybe I'm a stan, too. Yeah. Are you kind of – anybody that works with chaos magic sort of has to be, and anybody that's into rock and roll as hardcore as, as I am sort of has to Mm-hmm. Recently, one of my friends posted something, and – I could not read it. It was undecipherable and she translated it to me and Stan was one of the words that I needed a translator for. Yeah. I felt, yeah, it's funny. I felt old. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then what happens, we could do our whole episode about uncle Al. Um, but what happens is he's in the middle of this retreat. He sealed himself off. He's, He's gone into like hardcore spiritual battle and he is in it to win it. And this is intense. This is like 24 hours a day awake, self-flagellation all by yourself, probably on a good amount of dope way out there, baby. And that is a good place to leave this chapter with Uncle Al embarking on an impossible magical quest that nobody has ever been successful in. But he is in the middle of it. Wow. I just want to say, I feel like as, as the interview is going on, um, when you get excited, your microphone starts to like, and I think that, <laughs> I think it's just like your personal power connecting with the ethers and yeah. short circuiting things. So, <laughs> so Alistair Crowley's in the middle of the Abermelon in Northern Scotland, sealed off from the world undertaking an impossible magical mission as only Alistair Crowley could put himself in a pickle. Mm. Okay. Because <laughs> right? Alistair Absolutely. Crowley, my, my joke with you, and it's really kind of on the nose, as I call uh, Alistair Crowley, I often refer to him as Uncle Al, and then I tell you that Alistair is being a very naughty boy. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of Alistair's whole MO. So he is w in way over his head at this point. He's, he is probably, uh, I've heard you refer to this phenomenon before as uh, breaking the vessel. He has Shattering broken, the vessel? Yeah, yes, he has shattered his own vessel. And in doing so, he's um, opened up some real, real strange uh, portals that probably uh, shouldn't have been opened. And he's not doing binding uh, and he's not closing the doors when he should. And he gets a call from his boss in the OTO, uh, McGregor Mathers, who's in some shit. And McGregor Mathers says, I need you to come right away. 
to wherever, wherever I'm assuming London or Paris or whatever, because I'm in some shit and you're my boy. And so Crowley, even though he's in the middle of this very deep, super intense bending demons to his will, impossible, magical uh, ritual, gets up in the middle of it and takes off. He leaves. He doesn't shut down any portals. He doesn't do any banishing work whatsoever. He just packs his shit and goes. What? That's a problem. Yeah. For no reasons. Uh, particularly somebody who worked with as, as powerful of an energy as the Abra Mellon would know that you need to not, you know, uh, reinforce all of your boundaries. <laughs> Double and triple reinforce your boundaries. And when you call on something, you need to know how to release it, you know, and he did not do that. And that's sort of an unforgivable sin in the magical community. And I really feel like he cracked open something that's still there, that's still present, that hasn't healed, that's a rift, and that'll probably always be there. He magnified what was already there, the weirdness of the mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this. If he did indeed do that, do you feel like the repercussions um, ripple farther out than just, say, Northern Scotland? Yeah, definitely I do. Um, so that was in 1889. Um, a lot of people say that the modern world really started, the, the 20th century really started in, in the 1890s. And that makes sense from a historical point of view. Um, we were entering the modern age. We're coming out of the steam age. We're in the industrial revolution. We're talking about the same era um, as Jack the Ripper. Um, some people, uh, disreputable people, but people have made the connection between Crowley and Jack the Ripper. I don't think there's anything there, but that is the same time period. It's super turbulent in England. It's definitely revolutionary. Um, you've got a huge underclass of very poor people in terrible conditions and uh you know that's what crowley grew up under again england's not a happy place at that time it wasn't a happy place during black sabbath time either but anyways so uncle al is, is done the unforgivable and he's opened up a door and maybe he has um maybe he has ushered in a lot of things uh, you know, that were coming in the 20th century. Uh, the weird thing is that his goal was to, like you said, um, contact his holy guardian angel, right? So after he leaves and leaves the Abramelon unfinished, there's a lot of bad shit that happens at Boleskine House. But also he does contact his holy guardian angel in 1890. So less than a year later, he is in Egypt with his wife, Rose, and is given the AWAS. Right. Hence the Book of the Law. Yeah. And uh, Crowleyanity or Thelema, which I'm not, a, mm -hmm. I'm not a Thelemite, by the way. I, I need to state that clearly. Um, I do not have any sort of uh, organized uh, magical background. Um, everything I've learned has come from books and, uh, you know, um, just my own research. Of oh, all kinds of electrical yeah. sound anomalies are happening right now. But um, so I was actually, I dipped my toes into the um, OTO in a few other lifetimes. And that was oh, a few years of, of working with them. It was pretty cool. But I don't consider myself... Um, like I didn't want to go any further in the organization other than a zero degree. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that I dipped my toe into the OTO and learned a lot and read a lot and met a lot of cool people and actually went to Lon Milo Duquette's house. And so I'm a stand for, <laughs> I'm a stand for Lon Milo Duquette. Nice. Definitely. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I found a lot of um, beauty in the first chapter, at least, of the Book of the Law. Yeah. And 
And I used to be able to recite it by heart a long time ago, but yeah, so. It's, it's hard to grapple and it's hard to discern what's true and what's not true. I think even scholars of, of Crawley have a hard time carving out uh, the history and the myth because he liked to make stories up about himself. So we can't really tell what he did and what he didn't do. And he was really good at, you know, building up his own mythos. So who mm -hmm. knows? Anything is possible. Maybe he did put a monster in, in Loch Ness. Um, I uh, just want to turn the page real quick because I know we're heading towards the end of this particular episode. And I want to touch down on uh, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin owning Boleskine House. Uh, so the same house that Alistair probably leaves unfinished uh, Abermelon spells in a couple years later uh, after Alistair Crowley dies, Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page ends up obtaining the house uh, because Jimmy Page is a huge Alistair Crowley fan and he buys all the books and he, he is a stan of the highest degree. Uh, so he yeah. buys Boleskine House and in um, The Song Remains the Same, the movie uh, you know, the song remains the same by Led Zeppelin, the movie, uh, the scene with the hermit where Jimmy Page is standing on the cliff dressed like the hermit with the lantern and everything. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's at Boleskine house. So, okay. So, cool. uh, yeah, Jimmy Page is such a stand that he bought this haunted house, but he never really wanted to hang out in it. Because probably because it was haunted and sort of a bad juju place and not so pleasant to hang out in. So he, he hires a buddy to take care of the house. His buddy doesn't know anything about Alistair Crowley and then finds out that the house is completely, totally saturated and haunted. And there's knocking and there's speaking and there's ghosties and bad juju. And Jimmy didn't tell him any of that. Oh, wow. He just said, here, move in, take care of this place. Dude never even heard of Alistair Crowley. And he's living in the haunted Boleskin house where a man committed suicide in Alistair Crowley's bedroom after us. Alistair Crowley lived there. Like this place is deep. Some people say there was a church where Boleskin house is now, which would have been called a Kirk in Scotland that burnt to the ground with all the people inside of it. And that's, that's where the ground of Boleskin House is. And then since just a year or two ago, Boleskin House burnt down to the ground again. And it's now in the process of being completely restored from the ground up. And they're doing a beautiful job. But it's kind of strange, I'd say. The history is pretty dark. I wonder if there's been some cleansing of the grounds and maybe... I know they brought a priest. Close, they definitely have close. done an exorcism of both Loch Ness yeah. and the Boleskine house, you know. So it anyway. Feels like, it feels like that's an order. Yeah, definitely. That's what happens when you leave work un, unfinished. Always shut mm -hmm. your portals. But despite all of that, d despite, you know, the controversy um, from Crowley, we go to and Crowley and Robert Johnson. We go to David Bowie and Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Marilyn Manson and absolutely everybody in, in rock and roll music and a good chunk of hip hop music is definitely influenced by Uncle Al. He's on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's. Um, you'll see him, he's there. And I don't think it was accidental that the Beatles put him on the cover. Um, right. You know, he's an, a cultural icon. Some people say he's the second most famous magician of the 20th century uh, next to Harry Houdini. But he wasn't a prestidigitator. He was an actual magician. With Thank you so much for our chat, yeah. dear Raven. Yeah, thanks for I having really, me. I really enjoyed talking with you, and I appreciate you sharing your ideas and your knowledge and all of that good stuff. You're such a beautiful, magical, creative person. And huh. did you want to share anything about your upcoming projects? Absolutely. Um, I'm just uh, watching my little uh, cat. I'm taking care of a seven-week-old cat falling on his back, which is funny. But um, I'm bringing back Direwood. It's been five years, and, and we were going to write a new record, and 
kind of since nobody really listens to albums from the beginning to the end anymore, except old people like me, um, you know, everybody listens to things on shuffle. I wanted to break it up. I wanted to write a record, but I wanted to do it in chunks. And the easiest way for me to do that is just to do a podcast. So that's how I'm releasing the new album. It's going to come out in the form of a podcast. It's going to be about seven episodes and maybe three or four songs per episode. And they're all tied around the major arcana of the tarot. And there's a story that goes along with it that I'm writing a script for. And it's pretty much like uh, Orson Welles uh, meets Kendrick Lamar. That's the idea behind Direwood Alpha. Awesome. And I get to play. You are going to play the hangman. I can't wait. Which is a this bat. Is, which <laughs> is a bat. The, it's a uh, sort of a twisted fairy tale uh, Disney bent on its head apocalyptic uh, uh, magic kingdom that's fallen into great disrepair. And that's the setting of, of a direwood alpha. So um, I think I would like to close. Um, just with a few little acapella bars of a song that I wrote that's on uh, a Direwood album, which you can go to direwood.bandcamp.com uh, and you can listen to all of our albums that we put up for free. Um, and this one's on an album called Witchcraft Work, which is kind of a joke on the band Craftwork, who was like 80s robot nerds. <laughs> but we called it witchcraft work. Nice. And the name of the uh, bars I'm going to do is just uh, and directly inspired by Alistair Crowley. It's called Strength of Will. Uh, and I'm a little rusty and I don't have a, I do have a beat, but I'm not going to put it on. Just plow through, you know. Anyways, so here we go. This is called Strength of Will and it goes out. To my homie Alistair Crowley, he's a mighty good wizard, y'all. Yes. We'll sing for money, we'll sing for food. We'll entertain you for a fee to get you feeling in the mood. I need money to do stuff. But no matter how much I get, it's never enough. I'm chasing my tail for a lost coin sack, wasting away my seconds, never get it back. Clock in, clock out. Come to the pad, rock out with your Spock out. Rock out with your Spock out. Rock out with your Spock out. This is a truth that you can't kill. This will be done by strength of will. Focus intention and sharpen that retention. Focus intention and sharpen that retention. Almost 20 years now trying to find a voice. Sometimes I feel like I have no choice. Nerds at the lunch table forced to discuss poetry, found to descend and to plant a seed to grow a tree. Waiting for someone to listen to me, a whispering demon trying to set itself free. So you can talk to me and you can offer me money. You can tell me I'm stupid and I like to dress funny. I've been doing this for so long, I'll keep my self-integrity. I'm gritty, no bullshitty. This is the truth that you can't kill. This will be done by strength of will. Focus intention and sharpen that retention. Focus intention and sharpen that retention. Nice. I love that. It sounded great. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to next time. Me too. Cheers. You are su you are such a dear heart and <laughs> I treasure you. Thank so you so much. So mode be. And like Aloha. I said, we are definitely going to wrap this up and put a big old bind on any energies that we brought up during this discussion and will not harm or hurt anyone. And our intention is pure, and we're always with love first in our hearts, and do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, love as thou art none. And that includes yourself. That's probably the most important aspect of the book of the law, as it harms none, including you. So don't be That's stupid. Right. Shut your doors. Look at your contracts before you sign them. That's rock and roll, baby. <laughs> cool. uh -huh. Uh -huh. Love you. Love you. Peace. Thank you for stopping by. 
This is Navier Alora. I am a natural born clairvoyant medium and a lifelong experiencer of the weird. I am a certified energetic herbalist, a Reiki master teacher since 1999, a pagan priestess, a world traveler, and a wandering witch. I offer psychic tarot readings and mediumship, Akashic record, past and parallel life consultations, distant Reiki healings, and witch school. Check out my new Patreon page, A Wandering Witch, to support me and my work and to receive all sorts of goodies like monthly astro tarot readings, Mayan astrology forecasts, full moon Reiki ritual boosts, one-on-one witch school, and exclusive content only available to my Patreons. Check out my website, awanderingwitch.com, my Facebook fan page, A Wandering Witch, and also my Instagram at a double underscore wandering double underscore witch. Shout out to my patrons. Thank you for your support. It means the world. Musical credit and big thanks goes to Julia Kulmas, who wrote and performed the intro and outro music for a Wandering Witch podcast. A hooey ho, witches. Until we meet again, stay weird.